back to Chats with Owen. On today's episode, we'll be talking to Paul Merriman, who is a financial planner and also runs the Ask Paul page. Paul does a bit of work on radio and television as well. Paul, how are you? I'm great, Owen. Thanks very much. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Paul. Yeah, well, my name is Paul Merriman. I'm a financial planner. I'm a certified financial planner. Um, and I run a company called Pax Financial uh, Planning and I'm the CEO. And I started a company, well, bought it about eight years ago, a very small company at the time. And we've grown to up almost 100 million in management, uh, about 35 staff now, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, I love what I do from the finance point of view. And I started a page uh, on Facebook a number of years ago called uh, Ask Paul, uh, inspired by Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, listening and reading a lot of his stuff about four or five years ago. And we started to create a page on Facebook to demystify everything to do with personal finance. Uh, I've been in the industry about 18 years and I, I worked for Irish Life for years before I came out on my own as a financial advisor and I suppose I was getting sick of tired of trying to convince people what they should do and kind of what the basics were around finances and they go from uh, people your own age profile right up to people in their 60s or 70s sometimes and just had no very basic knowledge and they might be sitting down with me for a million investment or a big pension plan or uh, you know a mortgage or something and yeah. they just weren't getting the basics right. Uh, so I decided to start Ask Paul purely for informational purposes, grew it on the legs, started doing stuff for TV3 or Virgin Media, uh, the very radio stations, Q102 and News Talk, and uh, basically kind of grew legs and we got a lot of followers. Then we started on the Instagram, which completely blew up. And then we started offering consultation, financial planning consultations, and we started the Ask Paul Investment Club, we invest in a fund on a monthly basis with people. And uh, yeah, it's uh, one of the best industries in the world. Love the job. And um, yeah, I've also married three kids, uh, live up in Carrick Mines, uh, Dublin 18. And uh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> so uh, what was your situation in terms of saving and thinking about mortgages when you are my age? Um, so what age are you? <laughs> <laughs> 20 years old. <laughs> Very good. Uh, yeah, so look, when I was 20 years of age, um, I was actually uh, building a house, to be honest with you. Um, so I, I didn't go to college. I, well, I went to college for a week. I uh, couldn't get boy rag week. Uh, and then ended up in college 10 days after the start date with a hangover and not having a clue what was going on. And I, I ended up in Tala IT. I haven't got a clue what I wanted to do uh, after my leaving cert or that work. I really wanted to work. I'd always been working since I was... I started my first job, I was 14 as a lounge boy, and uh, it was always got a cleaning cars, the limber pizzas, and everything to make money. So even when I was working, my first job after dropping out of college was in Wilson. Actually, I was in Dunn Stores for a few months while I was waiting for interviews. Um, and I got a job offer in a place called Royalson and Lawrence General Insurance. Took that. And um, I would also work at night time delivering pizzas. So I, I've always had an attitude that you need money. Um, and I'd always work to get it. Um, so I'm a fair believer your income is actually your biggest asset. And I learned that from a very young age, but also blew a lot of money. But as your age of 20, I was at the getting a mortgage uh, application with Bank of Ireland. And I was on a very low salary. Back then, your parents would go guarantor. My dad, luckily enough, I guarantor. He's in the building game. And he had a rental property. I built a house on the side of it. I think I moved, that in, I moved into that house just about 21 years of age. Uh, but I was working on a crap salary. I was looking to have that support, but I could pay the rent. The mortgage was pittance at the time, a few hundred, six, 700 quid or something, um, which was more than half of the salary. or just over half of the salary. I think it was there, but made it work. Um, and yeah, I just was always interested in, I went to college at night time in Royals and Alliance. 
for the general insurance exams. And then at 21, 22, I think it was, I tried to get into the life assurance industry. It was more profitable. Um, and I was successful with a job at Irish Life. But it actually took me two attempts. The first time they wouldn't hire me because I was too young uh, for the fleet insurance. And the second time, uh, actually I had to go off and leave Royston Lines and I worked for Campbell Soups and Tato Crisps for two years, waiting for to get back in. Uh, I got into Irish Life and uh, yeah, loved it from day one. Just uh, loved the, 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 the advisory business and um, life and pensions. Did all my qualifications at night time, the QFAs, the CFP. So yeah, at your age, I was just about to buy a house, I haven't got a penny. Uh, I was waiting for my big break in a career of some description, which I got, thank God. And at that time, would you have been saving 10% of your weekly income? No, I would have been spe- honestly, and I don't mind saying this, to be honest, is, um, I would have been spending a lot more than I was saving at the time. Now, to put some context around this, um, back then we were just entering the Celtic Tiger. And Ireland was riff with people just, riff, right? people just making, uh, I suppose, piss poor financial decisions um, <laughs> and it was literally rammed down your throat uh, how much you could borrow and I think I think we're still uh, reaping the repercussions of that to be honest with you about how bad we were led down the ba- down the path by the banks um, and the decisions that we were now, no unfortunate to borrow money in fairness but um, I grew up in a, a household where my dad was self a company directly owned his own company. My brother-in-laws were self-employed. My sister worked with my dad. And, um, it was all very fast-paced as opposed to a business point of view. Uh, but yeah, back then, uh, once I had the house and I was earning money, yeah, I would have been having a good time and not really caring about savings. Would have dipped into a few credit union loans, I found a few holidays and just a few basic mistakes that I probably made back then. And the reason I don't mind saying is that I always preach, whether it's on Instagram or uh, TikTok or Facebook or whatever platform you see me on, I always preach to people at that age profile, and not because I'm trying to tell, well, tell them to do something I didn't, hidden, but learn from my mistakes, really, because I never realized the repercussions of those mistakes in my early 20s would have on my business life. Yeah. And what I mean by that is I was, when I set up packs, um, I hadn't got enough cash flow to do what I wanted to do by the time I wanted to do it. Now, I'm glad I've learned a lot of mistakes. I've done really well in business. The business is flying. Um, I've got four companies. Uh, things are going great. Um, but it would have been a hell of a lot easier had I got some of my own capital behind me and had I made the right decision with a very small amount of money at that stage. Uh, but yeah, I made the mistakes. So um, yeah, that's, that's, what I, that, that's unfortunately what I was doing. And uh, what do you think is the biggest thing you notice that young people are doing wrong in terms of uh, saving, etc.? And how does that affect us down the line? I think uh, younger generations these days, or people in their twenties, have a lot more access to information than I would have had. I'm making myself feel too old here. I'm only twenty-eight, <laughs> I'm only forty-eight, but I'm only thirty-eight. But the difference in the eighteen years uh, between when you, when I was twenty, and you're twenty. Is that there was no internet, well, there was an internet, but there was no phones or internet. There was no, you couldn't access your dial up for half an hour to access the internet. The internet wasn't used by my my generation that age much. You might do an odd college assignment or assignment for school or something. Like but um, the amount of information is so mind boggling that I find a lot of people your age aren't making decisions because they're trying to find the smartest way to do absolutely everything rather than just doing something. So it's that kind of shit or get off the pot analogy. You know, like a lot of people looking for an index fund with no charges and that has really low tax. You can't get that in Ireland. 
it's not American, but you know, you're listening to like to Tony Robinson, you're listening to the Gary Vaynerchuk, you're listening to Ray, you know, Robert Kozaki reached that tour that, and you're, you're picking up information from outside the jurisdiction, and it's just not the same here. Yeah. So, like, I give you an example we have a fund that I pick in Zurich, it's the Zurich Dynamic Fund, they're investing into the Aspal Investment Club. I've loads of these accounts which I put in 500 quid a month. I share it on Instagram uh, and we email to over three or four, there's 380 people or something now. And some people put in 75 euro, some people a couple of grand. I put in 500. And I get so much feedback from people your age saying, uh, managed funds are crap. Uh, you know, you need an index fund, but they haven't got an index fund. But my fund is up 7%, 6% so far this year, sorry, 6 point something. I think it was 6.3 as in yesterday. So, I'm saying, well, like you can't find the best of everything. Uh, it's very hard because there's so much difference in the jurisdiction when it comes to personal finance. Yeah. I think that's where the Aspel page and Instagram took off because so many people are looking for the Irish advice or someone that guide them in the Irish context. Uh, where I never had that influence from America, from what well, had it for fashion, probably wasn't the best fashion either. You, <laughs> you never had it for music, but you didn't have it for personal finance, right? Like, there was no, you couldn't get them in bookstores or whatever, but um, it just wasn't as easy accessible. So I think yeah. your generation has so much information coming at them um, and it's it's paralyzing them and they're just not making any decision. Um, and it's like I said, it, you, like people say to me all the time, uh, how can I invest in Robin Hood? Well, you can't. Robin Hood is a platform that's free in the States and the UK, and uh, the UK in the UK, and you can't. They're in Ireland. I never think people want the desire or people want the revolution. They're sending me messages on Instagram saying, how do I work my taxes out? I say, well, you don't know what you're investing. How the fuck did you get into that investment if you didn't know what <laughs> even you're paying tax? So, again, it's just take a step back. It, it doesn't always have to be the best. It has to be something. I don't know why I say I'm weird, but like I said, the Zurich Dynamic Fund that I invest is done 11% per annum for the last 30 years, which is phenomenal. Um, Last year, did 20 odd 6%. I think it was 26, 27% in 2019. This year, even with COVID-19, it's up over 6% to today's date, which is the end of November. So, you know, uh, it might be the sexiest thing. It might be taking your rap out and showing your mate that you bought something on the gyro, but it works and it gets you a return. So, you know, uh, yeah, don't overcomplicate it. It's probably what I see. And do you think that people saving for like a car or a house or, or to travel even should focus on one or two of those things? Or is it possible to save for all three and still enjoy yourself? Look, it's it, it's all relative to your lifestyle choices. Uh, and again, I always say personal finance isn't rocket science. Uh, I think the fact that I don't always wear a suit or I don't have a, a, a mad uh, posh Dublin accent for some reason, everyone thinks it's a finance or are full of people like that. It, it's very simple finance. You know, if you have a grand a month coming in, two grand a month coming in, and you want to spend every penny, you're not going to do one of those three things. Yeah. If you want to save half your wages, like... I, I think most people need to get to maybe 50 and 20 grand your age profile. People 30s, 40s, you need to get to uh, maybe 30 to 50 grand in investment accounts. Uh, 20 years of age, maybe need 10 grand to 15 grand. That should be able to buy a car, should be able to go on good holidays, should be able to have a little bit of a deposit for a house. So you need to work out how quickly you want to get there. Now, yeah. If you want to go to Australia this year and blow every penny, do it. It's grand. But you're just going to delay all those other things you want. But there's no rush there's no time on anything. Yeah. Um, and the one thing I hate for people for 20 years of age is saying, I have to have this. I was, I was this gobshite, by the way. I want to be here by 30 and setting these ridiculous limits. Um, and it's just so stupid and impractical. Uh, yeah. So, you know, yes, you can do all three of those things, buy a car, travel the world, have money for deposits or whatever else. Uh, but it's you have what you have income-wise. 
Now, what I, what I will say is that from my point of view, uh, when I was your age, I would have worked two or three jobs at a time. So remember, I was going to go to Australia. I actually mentioned travel. And I was working in RSA. And uh, I had a girlfriend at the time, and she was in Ashkona, I got to Australia. And um, I wanted to go. So I took a job in Donald's Pizza and worked every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or sorry, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all day Saturday and all day Sunday. I made a fortune. So like I just always work to get where, and I'm not trying to be cocky saying that, but I just, if you want something, you have to go earn it. And there's loads of ways to earn money. Um, yeah. It doesn't have to just be a nine to five job. Uh, you can do anything. You sell anything online. You can do anything you want. In my opinion, it's very easy to make money. Um, yeah. I hope not being condescending kind of to say that, but I genuinely think it is. Not I think it's getting the worst fucking situation of the day, I would probably be able to make two or three grand a week doing something. Uh, but I'd be probably working day and night. But that's that's what that's built into the people or it's, you know, it's there. So if I wanted to buy a car, I'd buy a two grand car probably in the next two months. If I want to go to Australia next year, I'd be saving two grand a month. Uh, and if I wanted to have a deposit for a house, I'd probably just wait till I came back from Australia and tackle that one then and not try and buy it off more than I could chew. So yeah. it's about having a plan, though. Everything with finance is about having a plan. Sit down with a page and piece of paper, put down those three goals. And just because you're not going to look at a goal now doesn't mean it's not a goal. If you have a goal at 20 years of age to buy a house <clears throat> as soon as possible, you might have to say, well, that's shell for two years because I want to go to Australia and I want to buy a car. You yeah. can do, but that doesn't mean you're never going to buy a house. Does that make sense? Yeah. So uh, it's, just, it's just about being logical about it. It's just a plan. How does the help to buy scheme affect us? It's been extended until 2021 and should it be extended further? The help to buy point of view, to give more context, is our government and every government uh, that we, we have, even the last government and this current government, will set a set of quote of houses that they want to build. Okay? Yeah. So let's say they want to build 20,000 houses. They have to do everything in their power to kind of hit that. So it's like, it's kind of, it's cheating. The help to buy is kind of cheating. It's great for people, uh, but it's cheating. So it's like you saying, I want to have an A plus in my... Uh, Christmas exams or my summer exams or when I leave whatever year you're in and then opening the book during your exam it's literally that so they brought out to help the boy and they've set to help the boy for new bills only so you're kind of going okay we're going to give 30 grand to everybody up to 30 grand to everyone that wants to buy a new house and what am I measured on how many houses we build so obviously the more we support new bills the easier it is to get our target so it's literally that straightforward so to answer your first question or one of your questions will it be extended past 2021 hell yes because there's no way our government are going to build all the housing need to build next year, especially on the back of COVID-19. Yeah. And if it's not to help the boys game, it will be something similar. Now, most people, when they come to me for mortgage advice, will ask me, is it ever going to be extended to secondhand houses? No, it's not, because the government are trying to give themselves a quota to hit on new bills. So therefore, they're never going to give you 30 grand to buy a secondhand house because it's not helping their target. Oh. That makes sense? Yeah, so definitely. very, very straightforward. How does it help? Unfortunately, I don't know what you're doing work wise or part time, whatever. I presume not working uh, full time yet. But <clears throat> if you're in a situation, the help the boy gives you back the last four years income tax. So someone 20 years of age probably hasn't paid 30 grand in income tax yet. Very, very, very unlikely. So it's therefore probably going to help people that have left college a few years and usually a couple where they might have got to that 30 grand, where they might have paid 30 grand between them over four years. And it's just a rebate of that tax they've paid up to 30 grand or 10% of the value of the house. Yeah. So if you're buying a 250 grand house, they'll give you up to 25 grand. 
if you're buying a 400 grand house, they'll still give you up to 30 grand only. That ceiling is 30,000 euro. Yeah. So that's how it works. And yes, I do think uh, that it will be extended because it's in the government's interest, not yours, the government's interest, which is more important than the government, believe it or not. So uh, I put a poll out on my Instagram asking my followers if they knew how to apply for a mortgage. 74% said they didn't. Is this something you think should be taught in schools across the country? 100%. Personal finance needs to be taught at school more than any other subject, in my opinion. Um, you know, the amount of people that make horrendous mistakes, uh, whether it's with credit cards or debt. Or, the one thing I will say in this uh, podcast, to be fair to everybody, is you do not need to have an ICB record. You don't have to have a loan to go for a mortgage. The amount of young people are here getting advice, what I would call bar still advice, or so the uncle or the man or the dad or somebody saying, get yourself a loan, pay it back, that's how you get a mortgage. That's bullshit. You don't need to do that. <laughs> You can have no record and still get a mortgage. And the problem I find with younger people is that when they take that loan, they may run into difficulty, they might get laid off, they might switch jobs, they might go away and forget about the loan. Then they have a bad credit record. and That definitely will stop you getting a mortgage. So yeah. I think younger people should be taught way more about finance in school. It should be on the curriculum, especially for fourth year even when you're doing more, more ridiculous stuff, like I have a young lad, son and a daughter in fourth year. Uh, and some of the stuff they're doing is... And scary, mind boggling. Like, it's a day is climbing mountains. I'm kind of saying, someone just went to these pairs of finance for a day. Like, what's climbing a mountain going to do for them? Uh, orienteering skills. When do you ever leave school and be able to read a map uh, when you're lost in Kalini Hill? Like, it just doesn't happen. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, that should be a day spent talking about money, the thing you're going to do, uh, and tax, how to pay less tax, how the tax system works. Like, most of us, my first experience with taxes when I got my first wage slip and realized it was emergency tax. And most of my salary was gone. I was like, what the fuck is this? Um, and that's most people's first experience when it comes to money or tax. Um, so 100% it needs to be on the curriculum and people need to know better. When it comes to mortgages, mortgages aren't that actual difficult to understand. Uh, mortgages, obviously, when the bank gives you a loan of money to buy a property in Ireland, because they were quite bad at it back before the last recession or the financial crisis, uh, we have a set parameter. So if you're a first-time buyer, you will require a 10% deposit. If you're buying a 250 grand apartment, you need 25 grand in cash. But you also need the biggest thing for a mortgage is after that is showing the affordability to pay that mortgage. So if that 250 grand more house, you're going to give 25 grand to it. You're going to be borrowing 225,000 euro. Let's say that costs 900 quid a month. You need to show the bank that you can save 900 quid a month for at least six months or that you have it in rent for at least six months. And that's it. So 10% deposit, which if you're buying a new bill, the government will happily give you. And they need to show as you can save for nine months. That's really it. So they're not that difficult. It's very easy to understand. Yeah. Now, what happens in this country, and we do like loads of mortgage consultations on a weekly basis here in the firm, is that people, because wages are lower than the house inflation are going, people need to borrow more than what the government, what the central bank will allow them. So at the moment, it's usually 3.5 times your combined salary. So yeah. if you have two people on, you know, 50 grand between them, uh, which obviously be low enough income for two people, they're only able to borrow 3.5 times, about 175 grand. With a 10% deposit of 200 grand of a property, you can't really buy anything for 200 grand. So they then need what's called an exemption or exception to borrow a little bit more. And the banks can give a few of these out on a yearly basis. So that's gen that's usually where people go wrong. And then people, when they're calculating their income, they might have overtime, they might have commissions, they might have shift work. And all the different lenders judge that extra income differently. That's why when people come 
to us, we assess what they have and we pick the lender that suits them best. Everyone's circumstances are completely different. On so it's it's literally one of those things where you need to come in, have a chat with us or Zoom, and we look after people through Zoom. Now, obviously, with COVID nineteen, give us what you have. We'll tell you what you can do. And sometimes it might be you can't do anything, but you need to do this in order to be there next year or six months or eighteen months time. So people get a bit of peace of mind and know what they can do if we can't help them now. I think that's a great service. I'm very proud of that service. Definitely, definitely. Um, so could you talk us through the main principles of mortgages? Uh, yeah, the main principles are you need to have an income and you need to show the bank you can pay it. <laughs> That's literally it, you know, uh, and you have to have your deposit, your savings, unless you're buying to help the boy. If you're looking for help the boy in a new build and you've paid enough tax over the last four years, you could then use the government's help the boy scheme to give you. So you don't need to have any savings or any deposit, but you need to have either rent or shown that you can save 900 quid or a thousand, whatever the mortgage repayment is going to be. Fantastic. That's Fantastic. literally it. Oh, it's not rocket science. It's so simple exactly. to be honest with you. It is quite achievable. It's uh, it's actually something that coming into this podcast, I was a bit, I was definitely in the grey about it. But uh, talking about it here, it definitely seems a lot more achievable than people would think, especially my yeah. age group. Uh, I, I, just, to, just to follow up, and a lot of people in your age group were asking me about rental property because obviously when you're reading books and you're thinking about personal finance. Property is one of the best asset classes, in my opinion. Uh, stocks and shares preferably first, but then property, because property gives you passive income. Now, the problem is it doesn't give you passive income while you have your loan outstanding, because you're literally just collecting the rent to give to the bank and the tax man, because you pay tax on rental income in this country. Yeah. So it's a it's a, it, it, it's a double-edged short property if it's not done correctly. But someone your age, if you were on, you know, 30 grand, and you're with a partner, and they were on 30 grand, you're on 60 grand, you could probably get a, a first-time apartment for maybe 250 grand easily enough. There's nothing to stop you just saying to the banker, a first-time buyer, you get the keys, and then two or three months later, decide to turn that into a buy to let moving back to your parents or wherever you're living, and then letting that property out. Uh, now, not saying that's what I advise, saying that's what people do. Um, and then if you want to build a property portfolio, generally speaking, the younger you do that, 100% the better. And you mentioned the... You mentioned um, the stocks. So, like, my, my interpretation of stocks is Jordan Belfort in The Wolf of Wall Street. Is there a simple, yeah. a, a more simple way of doing stocks? The, 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 yeah, there is a hell of a lot of a simpler way. So, unless you're going to be Jordan Belfort, who went to obviously Wall Street, young age, did all the stock trading exams, and was buying and selling stocks, you shouldn't be buying or selling stocks. Very, yeah. very simple. Do not go on to Revolut or the Giro or start buying single stocks because you will lose your short. And the reason being, buying a stock is easy. Getting out of stock at the right time is the hardest part. So it's like having imaginary money. You buy a stock for, say, just say you bought a stock for 100 quid today, you bought one share in one company for 100 euro. And that stock went to 200 quid. Now, it's 100% return. Would you get out? Probably not in your 100 quid because you haven't made enough money. Put a million in and you're a million up. You know, so your million goes at two million, you take it out. But it's the same return, but a different decision process because it's the monetary amount that makes a difference to your life. So if you're investing, so I have a lot of people investing in this. So we have the Aspot Investment Club. I have never bought a single stock. I don't I hold the Zero account, which I've never used, or the Davy Stockbroker account, which I've never used, because I don't have the time. I have 18 years experience in this industry, and I know a lot of those stocks and shares, and I could probably put a portfolio together. But by God, when the market goes down, I don't have the patience. I am too emotional when it comes to my money, as are you and as is everybody. 
Yeah. So you need to hand it over, in my opinion, to a fund manager that knows what's doing. So the fund I invest in is our dynamic fund, and we can we set these over people every day of the week and ask Paul. But Zorro Dynamic Funds around since 1989, 11% per annum. As I said earlier on, last year the 26%, this year it's up 6%. That yeah. fund looks after 400 stocks. Okay, the top 10, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, uh, Facebook, Salesforce, Ma- MasterCard, etc. It's a phenomenal fund, but it's not as sexy as opening a Revolut account and buying like Tesla or buying fucking Apple and seeing it going up. But the problem is when it goes down, you don't know what to do. And you, you make the wrong decision. And you usually come out of the market when it's falling, which is the worst thing to do. And then you go back in when it's higher. So you've missed the bounce if you do that. And no yeah. matter what you think, if you go back to 2007, I look at October 7, 7, the market was the highest it was at that period of time. It's been much higher since. And then the financial crisis came. And if you look at the S&P 500, the top 500 stocks in the New York Stock Exchange, fell by about 66%. Then no matter what you read, so all these books that we're talking about earlier on, they'll all say, pick a passive fund, pick the S&P 500, track it for 50 years, 60 years. You'll be a millionaire by the time you're 60. You put 100 grand on that fund that falls to 30 grand, you lose your shit. There's no way you'll stay in the fund. It's physically not possible. No matter what you know in your brain, you're attracted and you're attached to that 100 grand. So when it goes to 80 grand, 70 grand, you know, it's going to come back. Now it's 50 grand. You know, you're going to take it out at the wrong time. You're going to take it out with 50 grand. That means you've lost 50% of your profit or 50% of your money that you had. And you're going to put it back in when it's up to 70 grand. So you're going to buy high again. So yeah. I think you're better off leaving it to a fund manager. The fund manager can go a little between cash and the top. So my fund, they go between 100% fund I recommend, 100% equity, stocks and shares, and 75%. So at any time, they can have 25% in cash. So if the market does take a big tumble, that fund manager is managing 1.6 billion. All right, there's 1.6 billion. He's going to make a better decision. She is actually going to make a better decision than you and me are. 100%. They're managing 1.6 billion. So sometimes it's a little bit more expensive to buy a passive fund. But, you know, it's probably 1% more expensive. People are losing a shit over 1%. It's probably going to cost them 30 quid a year or something, or 50 quid or 60, or even 100 quid or 200 quid a year. It's pittance. Yeah. So having access today, you can open an account today, put from 75 euro in up to a maximum of 1,500 quid a month, and the manager charges about 1.5%. And if people give me a hard time on TikTok saying that's too expensive, and they're looking to put 75 quid in. So they're moaning about 1% of 75 quid. Seven cent. Like, honestly, that's what you get. But they're reading and getting carried away. So look, yeah. from stocks and shares, it doesn't have to be sexy. It has to work. And it has to be a proven track record of working. Just set a direct debit up, put your money in. It will give you a much better return over a five-year period than the credit union, the bank, and you have a manager looking after your little pot, whether it's three grand, ten grand, whatever it is, the same way as looking after a millionaire's pension. That is ridiculous to be able to do. Uh, but it's so simple. It's just not for everybody because it's not sexy enough. You want to be Johnny Big Balls taking a rap out and showing people for 20%, even though they've done nothing and they don't even know how it works or how much tax they're paying or how to make a revenue return or if they're getting dividends uh, or if they have CGT liabilities. All these things need to be considered. They just ignore them because you know they 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 want to be seen to be sexy and cool with their yeah. <laughs> couple of stocks and don't have a fucking clue what they're talking about. So uh, yeah. Uh, so in in Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, uh, he talks about the difference of his dad being poor and his friend's rich dad. He suggests yeah. that uh, work to learn to work to learn and not for money 
do you think this is something we should all consider or is the sole purpose of working to gain money? No, it depends on your age profile and what you do. Like if you're honestly, uh, your situation, uh, so if you're living at home and you don't have any uh, dependents yet or you don't have, you know, like people between the ages, say 18 and 23, say, but living at home, they're going through college are actually at the best time of their life to take risk, do mad stuff, set up businesses, fail, copy, stand, whatever, whatever you want to do. Yeah. And the same comes to your money and learning. You can actually afford to work for free. You can actually walk into my office tomorrow, get a job for free as an intern, look around, see what's going on, ask the right questions, sit in the team meetings, keep about sure, say no, and just absorb everything around you for a few weeks. And it's no way near a waste of time and money. And you don't need the money. They're not trying to promote people coming here to work for you for free. It's not the work of a me. It's about learning if you want it. Yeah. But you can do that with loads of companies. But people are caught up on, you know, wanting to earn all the time. You need to earn knowledge at some time in your life. Um, so I think, I think um, absolutely, you know, absolutely Robert's right. Until a certain point. You know, you're still working for people for free trying to learn stuff at 30 years of age. You've got a problem, you know. Yeah. Now, unless you've come out of a career and you're trying to get another career, like we was speaking to someone last week, um, a client came in for a financial consultation. A lovely couple, lovely guy, and he's left a industry, a project management industry, an accountant to get into fund management and one of the big stockbrokers. Big change, big drop in salary. You know, he's still earning money, uh, but he has a plan, which is great. He's no dependence yet. Actually, you're 28 years of age, not 30. Uh, no dependence yet, and uh, he knows a few years left where he could take that risk. That means he's on maybe 70 or 75 grand. He's now on 32 grand. Uh, starting off on a stockbrokers and um, he, he will do that guy will be on 100, 100 grand I know he will in a few years time so uh, but yeah he's done that taking a much lower salary and he is just trying to um, better his his earning capability in the future so sometimes yeah. you have to take a step back whether it's for free or lower income to earn but uh, knowledge is way more important at your age profile I would have thought than income because Definitely. you 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 got a shit job somewhere. You went there and that, and they were giving you a grand or two grand a month. That's probably not as good to you if you're working for a, a, in a career that you really wanted to spend your life in for free for a few months. So, yeah, I think Robert's right on that one. As, as he is a lot of stuff. Right? Anyone listening to this who hasn't read Rich Dad, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, highly recommend it. Um, it it's, it's a phenomenal, it's a really, really good book and really good principles in there. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so, do you think? Are, are you aware of the Tony Ten? Uh, book basically a postman who stole 10 million off oh, on post. Sorry, I am sorry, I know exactly. Yeah, down in Gory, down in Gory. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember that story. Yeah, didn't even think Gory post office would have 10 million. I'm only messing who, with who would have thought? No, who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> All those farmers at Wexford stashing their cash in the yeah. post office. <laughs> but do you think, uh, that, like because if for anybody that doesn't know the situation, it was, he took ten million and he gambled ten million of on posts money in an attempt to uh, break even. Uh, do you think that young people should stay away from gambling completely, or is yeah. your your weekly trip to Paddy Power or whatever? Stay away from it. There's nothing to learn from it. In my opinion, there's absolutely nothing to learn from it. Anyone I've ever known, uh, and my parents are originally from Ballyfermot, uh, and I used to spend a lot of time. My dad played football uh, for the over 35. I'll actually send him this when it's released for the crack. He'll hope for saying this. As well as it was nearly 50, and he was still playing for the over 35s uh, okay. for Ballyfermot. But every every Sunday, we used to go back to this pub in Ballyfermot after the matches. I was only a kid. and go back for your dinner or whatever else. And... Uh, 
there was a couple of guys uh, from Ballyferm that would have been a gambler addiction. I've seen it from a very young age. And this was a story I think I share with everybody that one of these guys, uh, one, one, one Easter, myself, my mum and dad were going away for the Easter holidays. Dad's in the building trays, so used to take Easter holidays and summer holidays quite regimented every year. Yeah. And that, this, this day we we're going to Lanzarote. And before we went to Lanzarote that evening, my dad was playing a match, we went back for a dinner to the pub. And this guy, John, is there and he is in the corner looking at the horse racing. And he's up on the stool like he's on the horse and he's giving it socks, screaming. <laughs> so everyone's focused during there's this, there's a Man United match on, but everyone's focused during the John. So anyway, John goes and roms home and wins seven or eight grand. Now, back then it was massive money, right? Yeah. So he goes down to the bookies, one of the guys off the team went with him, uh, and the bookies would only give him a grand saying to pick the rest of the money up during the week because he hadn't got that much. It was obviously a lot of money. And it was a Paddy Powers downstairs under the pub. So he says to my dad, and um, dad used to let him work for him and looked after him. He had no cash growing up and they were really good friends. Uh, so he says to me, dad, there's a drink for you and Maury and my mom in the, in, in the uh, airport. So John gives my dad the 50 quid or 20 quid, whatever the money was, I don't remember. And well done, thanks. Dad goes off. We go to Lazarus. We come back two weeks later. We're in the pub. Paul, had you got that 50 I gave you? Broke again. Like, and that was, I was only a kid, 10, I think. And that was my first, like, I always knew the guys that were gambling and they, they were always, dad never gambled, always told me, we're going to never go near it because when you're a gambler, you can gamble all your money away to anyone knowing. And not trying to promote being a drug addict, but at least if someone's on drugs or alcohol, you can see it and you know it. Where gambling is a sign of killer. So I'm very negative against gambling. Now, I will say, I would do a Cheltenham for my granddad, just to back a few horses every week. Uh, uh, God rest of soul, used to put like a euro hair pound here and there and pittance. Uh, so every grand national, yeah, every grand national, we usually myself, my brother, my dad put a couple of quid on for the granddad, and we pick horses. We wouldn't know what we're picking, yeah. but that was my experience. It might be a drastic experience. Uh, well, clearly, someone had a massive problem with gambling to go through all that money. I just can't see any benefit of gambling because everyone that I've known that gambled, you only hear about the winnings, mm. and you will never hear about the losses. And generally speaking, like what this guy John did, you go back and make your bets bigger. So instead of betting bet, bet, bet a pound or a euro a week or five euro, when you win the 50 quid or the 200 grand or three grand, whatever you win, you're generally going to go back and think you're a genius. And you're not a genius. It's just luck. That's all it is for the majority of people. And you do have massive gamblers out there that are really good at this game and they're phenomenal. They make millions and they lose millions and they can take it and they get a good margin out of it. Yeah. But there's way too many people out there that don't do this. Like, as a 99% of the people I know will never, ever, ever make bank, uh, money from gambling. And I don't care if it's on your phone um, and it's in the pub with the lads and you're betting on the next goal and whatever else you can bet on. Um, I just don't know what the advantage is. There's nothing to learn from that. There's absolutely nothing to learn from that. It's not a skill. It's not anything other than luck. Um, and you're generally going to be unlucky more. And just to say, we're talking about mortgage there, if you go for a mortgage application, they see betting on your applica- on your bank accounts. You literally, the underwriter takes your application and just dumps it in the bin. That's what um, I was going to ask next, yeah. Yeah, because of the, 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 the habit that it can, uh, uh, that it's, it's yeah, I just have no interest in it. Um, and yeah, I would, I would turn everybody or anybody off the, the, the gambling thing. Uh, I just don't, just don't have any time for me to be honest with you um but yeah so that's that's my experience now it might be like i said at 10 years of age we've been extreme to see that uh, and maybe not everybody feels that they've done that or seen it but i just don't know anyone that's done it uh well anymore. i remember some one of the guys in Irish was a big gambler and i've seen recently won a lot of money uh, but 
I know he's lost more than that money he won, like. So yeah. what people are thinking this guy's a hero. Um won a massive over hundred grand he was. I, like, well, I mean, know he spent more than that during his years. <laughs> There's yeah. no way he's down. There's no way he's up like exactly. so uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's cutology. So stay away from it, no need for it. Uh, earn your money. Um, I used to say years ago, was kind of cocky as this money sound, and some of your life days, you used to the syndicate for the lotto. Uh, I would be a bit younger than you. I was like, I'm not doing the lotto. I don't want to be known as the guy who won a million, rather make a million. Uh, no, that's just me. Uh, personally speaking, I always wanted to make it. Um, no, don't get me wrong. I'd fucking bite the hands off a lot of one these days. A bit thick at 18, 19. But uh, not us fine, obviously, not having a go with the lotto. But uh, I just, you make your money. There's way too much opportunity. You see the guys going in out of bookies on a Saturday. Like just stay and work an extra few days, a few hours longer to make your money. That's yeah. all you have to do rather than fucking hanging out of a pub and going in and out of bookie shops. It doesn't make any sense to me, but everyone's different. And I'll try to knock people that do that either. It's 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 you know, it's it's a hobby for most, and that's absolutely fine. People spend their money in weirder ways, probably. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh so Paul, thanks a million for coming on today. Uh I really appreciate you taking time out of your very, very busy schedule. That's no problem at all. Thanks for asking me. Fair play for reaching out. Uh, if you don't ask, you don't get, as they say. So uh, you're, you're very good. I enjoyed that. The questions were great. Fair play to you.